Morning, church. Thank you, Peter, worship band. Thank you to Dr. Hurd and the choir. Lovely to be here with you again this morning. But, uh, before we start, could I make one very urgent request of the technical team? Could somebody please make sure that we've taken that microphone off Helen? <laughs> More on that later. I have to say, when Helen said that uh, in her experience, she's found that if she... Actually, she didn't say confronts. <laughs> she said in her experience, if she personally asks somebody to do something, they usually say yes. And uh, I can say amen to that. We, we actually joined Helen's home group years ago because she, she literally appeared from nowhere, cornered me and Stephanie up against the meat counter at Costco. And I asked us if we wanted to join the home group. So, um, so there we are, that was interesting. Um, okay, we are in, um, oh, hang on a second, one thing, a little bit of revenge here because uh, Helen did call me out there publicly. Did Helen actually, am I mistaken, or did she actually say, sometimes when you hear something from the pulpit, you ignore it and don't pay attention to it? <laughs> I think she did say that. So, uh, volunteer, Tom's going to have a word with her afterwards about it. Okay, John chapter 6. We're in John chapter 6, continuing our studies in the book of John, and we're going to read from... John 6 and verse 16. When evening came, just prior to this, Jesus has fed 5,000, fed the 5,000 people. Then it says in verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it into it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather in your house around your word, and we ask, Lord, as we always do, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us this morning to open our minds, that we could understand your word, that each one of us, Lord, could receive a message from you this morning through your word. In your precious and worthy name, amen. 
Okay, so some of you uh, may be thinking, having looked at the bulletin, well, that's a bit of an odd title that Simon's given for the message this morning. The title is A Day in the Life. Some of you may have thought, well, have they missed a bit off at the end? A day in the life of who? Well, a day in the life of Jesus and a day in the life of the disciples. And the reason that I came up with that title for this is that what I want to try and do in the next few minutes is to, from this passage, to pull out two key things that happened which we can then take and apply to our day-to-day life as Christians. Two things that I want to pull out of this. But I wanted to stress that the events that we read about in John chapter 6 here, they're not like huge one-off events like the transfiguration or the crucifixion. These events really are in with a long narrative of things that happened, places that Jesus and the disciples went to, people they interacted with, things that happened to them. This wasn't any particular special day. If you go back to chapter 5, we read about Jesus healing the man who was lame at the pool of Bethsaida. Then you get into chapter 6, and he's speaking to 5,000 men, probably 8,000 people or more, and he's taught them all day, and then using just a handful of, a small amount, little amount of food, he feeds 5,000 people. Then at the end of this, the disciples get into a boat and they cross the Sea of Galilee, and then the next day, it all starts again. As we read at the end of this passage, people got boats and they went and found them, and so the next day it continues. It's another day. So a day in the life, what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't want anybody to think or say that these two principles we want to, we want to draw out of this really only apply to certain specific events, because they don't, because they come out of a day in the life of Jesus and the disciples. If, that, if I've made that clear, I hope I have. The first thing we see here at the beginning of chapter, at the beginning of the passage in verse 16, <clears throat> is that after Jesus has fed the 5,000 people, Jesus and the disciples separate. They're going to go across the Lake of Galilee, either to Bethesda or, or Capernaum, and it says in, in John, the passage that we read, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got off, got into a boat, and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So, reading this the first time, I thought to myself, well, I wonder why they separated. Why did the disciples decide that they were going to get into the boat on their own and cross over to Capernaum on their own without Jesus? Were they impatient? Were they tired? We're told it was dark. You know, what was their motivation? What was their thinking when they did that? What's interesting about when you read the Bible, and we we talk about this a lot on on a Wednesday morning, is that sometimes if you just read a Bible passage, you read it and that's it, you've read it. And you don't think enough about it. And... 
All of our Bibles, I'm sure, have useful margin notes. I don't know how often we read those notes, but those margin notes are interesting because they'll, they'll give you another reference to a, another verse somewhere else in the Bible that may be relevant to this, or it'll tell you <clears throat> where, oh, this story can also be found here. And what's interesting is if you do that, if you spend that extra little bit of time to check out those notes and read a little bit more around the passage, you get insights that you might not have got if you just read the verse and that's it, job done. And this is a classic case because this story is also told by Matthew in chapter 14 and it's told by Mark in chapter 6. And I know this is a big generalization, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, <clears throat> their gospels tended to be written more from a narrative point of view, where they were interested in recording everything that happened. John, who approached his gospel in a slightly different way, his focus was on demonstrating the divinity of, of Christ. And so, Sometimes things don't get, sometimes things appear slightly differently in different Gospels. So, if you go to Matthew chapter 14, for example, and verse 22, it says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So John says, simply records, that the disciples got into the boat without Jesus and went off to Capernaum on their own. Doesn't say why. Matthew tells us, well, actually, it was Jesus who said, you know, and, and let's picture this, it's dark, it's the end of a day, it's the end of a long day, there's 8,000 people there that Jesus has fed, and so Jesus says to the disciples, look, you guys go, go on ahead of me. We know where we're going to meet. You go on ahead now. I'm going to stay. I'm going to dismiss these crowds. And then once he dismissed the crowds, it said he went up into a mountainside to pray. So they separated. They separated. Why? Because Jesus needed to pray. And this is the first principle that I want to pull out of this. Because if Jesus needed to go somewhere quiet and pray at the end of a long day, how much more do we need to find somewhere quiet to pray at the end of a long day? I mean, at the end of a long day where we've been doing things and we're tired, how many times have we uttered the words, come on, let's go home? And I think Jesus knew the disciples were tired and he dismissed them. He wanted to stay. He wanted to, he wanted to dismiss the disciples. He wanted to dismiss the crowd because he wanted to be on his own so he could pray. And bearing in mind the title, A Day in the Life, this was a regular day, a regular day. It's dark Jesus must have been tired. He'd had a very busy day. But 
He doesn't want to just get in the boat and go on with the disciples so he can get to wherever they're staying for that night and sleep because first of all, he feels he needs to go and pray. And so that's the first point I want to pull out for us. That desire, that need at the end of a long day, just a regular day, but a long day, Jesus had to put aside a little bit of time to go and pray. And I think, and I'm not going to say that I do this every day by any means, but I think in, in the world in which we live, with everything that's going on, when we're trying to navigate our way through the world as Christians, when we're trying to deal with the things that we face every day, it is so important if, before we go to sleep, we can just take a few moments, quiet and alone, just to pray, just to run through the day. Some people call it keeping a short account with God. Just a few moments of prayer where between you and God, or we review the day that's taken place. We think through the things that have happened to us that day, the things we've done that day. And we run them in through our minds through a filter of have we done anything today that God would not have been happy with? Have we said anything that perhaps now we think about it, he might not have been happy with? And if, if we have, then let's ask for forgiveness now and clear that ledger. Or have there been opportunities today when I should have done something or I could have done something that I know God would have been happy with, but I didn't do it? And if the answer is yes, then again, take it to him, ask for forgiveness, clear that ledger so we go into the next day with a clean slate, fully energized to do, to handle whatever it is that God has for us. Because you see, if we don't do that, and there have been things we've done that we should not have done, they, we can become anesthetized to those. And we do them again the next day, and we do them again the next day. And without really realizing it, we can drift a long way from the path that God wants us to be on and the person that God wants us to be. The way to stop that happening is at the end of every day to clear that ledger, for want of a better phrase, with God. And if Jesus... At the end of a long day, when his disciples were waiting for him, if he felt it was so important that he had to make sure he was on his own so he could spend some time in prayer, then how can we not do that ourselves? So, Jesus and the disciples separate. They separate because Jesus wants to pray alone. The disciples then have a tough journey. Why do they have a tough journey? You'd say it's unfair. They've had a long day. But they're rowing and it's dark and the storms come up and the wind comes up. And I've got to compress all of this quickly. But that also is a lesson for us. It's not the second thing I want to bring out, but they had a tough end to a tough day. And sometimes we have a tough day. It's just, it goes with the territory of being a Christian. Not everything goes the way we want it to. But then we read that Jesus walks out on the water. 
And again, if you read the different passages, if you read it initially, it sounds as if Jesus has seen them in the boat rowing and struggling with the wind and the waves and he walks out to rescue them. But again, if you go to the, go to the account in Mark, it's not the case. Mark says Jesus was on his way to meet them in Capernaum, but he just walked across the lake. It actually says he was going to walk past them. He was actually overtaking them. Now you say, well, why, why did he do that? The point was, Jesus said to them, you go to Capernaum, I will meet you there. Now how he chose to do it is his business. And how God chooses to meet the promises given to us are his business. If he wants to hire another boat and catch up, then he can. If he wants to walk across the water, he can. The point here is, and this is the second point, that when they see him walking on the water, they're terrified. They're terrified. And when you're terrified, you lose the ability to make sensible decisions. I experienced that when Helen marched down the steps of that microphone. (laughs) I've got to compress this into two or three minutes because the time's time's running on, but this second point I want to try and get across, it's been hovering fully formed in the back of my mind all week, but every time I try and express it, it gets furry around the edges, so I'm going to do my best. Why did they get terrified? They were disciples. They'd seen Jesus do remarkable things. They'd seen him feed 5,000 people from a couple of bits of food. He told them, go to Capernaum, I'm going to meet you over there. Okay, they've had a tough journey, but that goes with the territory sometimes. We might have a tough week. doesn't mean God's forsaken us. But then suddenly they see Jesus walking across the water. They can't cope with that. Because their experience has not not prepared for for that. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, often, we we calibrate our expectation based on our experience. So if we haven't seen something happen, then we won't expect it to happen. Well, that limits God. Because God can do whatever he wants in your life or my life at any time. But the disciples panicked. You see... There's a very interesting interface for all of us as Christians between rational thought and faith. We need both. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of Nehemiah because it's a perfect example of the interface between faith and rational thought because Nehemiah had enormous faith to do what God wanted him to when he traveled back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. But you read at every step of the way, he had to organize, he showed incredible rational thought as he made all of the arrangements and the organizations and all of the logistics were in place in order to do what God wanted him to do. That's rational thought. We all have the ability to have rational thought. An example of rational thought. I genuinely was not able to stay for the lunch today because I needed to go back. I was somebody I was going to see. Then Helen calls me out publicly in front of the whole church. (laughs) And so I've been now, I've been rationally thinking, well, that's uh, perhaps I should stay for the lunch. That's rational thought. Blind faith is at the other extreme. Good example of that was Pastor Mark Nazarian. I moved here in 2004 to this U.S., 
knew nothing about baseball, but he told me every year the Dodgers were going to win the World Series. It took him a long time. We have to calibrate that interface between rational thought <clears throat> and faith. And when those disciples were terrified, rational thought left town. They saw a vision walking across the water. They'd never seen anybody walk on water before. They assumed it was a ghost, and they were terrified. And when you're terrified, you can't accomplish anything. Now, their faith, their faith should have said, hang on. We've been traveling with Jesus. We've watched him perform incredible miracles. He told us to cross over the lake, and he's going to meet us there. So as far as I'm concerned, if that's what he told us he's going to do, I don't care what that ghost is or what that apparition is. It's not going to, it's not going to throw me off course. So the second thing I want to leave with you all today is we have to make sure as Christians that we don't let our ability our capability for rational thought to override our faith. Elijah won an incredible victory of faith when he destroyed, he called down fire from heaven, destroyed all the prophets of Baal. The very next day, Jezebel said, you are going to be dead by this time next week. And he ran away. Because his rational thought process, processes said, she's the queen. She can send people to put me to death, so I have to run away. That's a million miles from the faith that he demonstrated the day before when he called down fire from heaven and consumed the prophets of Baal. So the second, the second thought I want to leave with everybody today is... Let's try not to limit our expectation of what God might do by things we've seen. Because God can do anything. And so if you're in a scenario where you're not sure about which way to go or what to do, or if you're in a scenario where you're battling against a problem, don't let your ability to think rationally override your faith. Because Christianity is about faith. It's about us believing in God and accepting Christ. And it's about believing that whatever our human analysis tells us, God can come in and change anything at any time and do remarkable things with every one of us, no matter what our situation is today. I do apologize if that's been a bit muffled. Thanks to Helen, I will be here a bit longer. So... If you want to come and ask me a question, please do. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact you love us so much. Lord, help us, Father, help us to remember the need to pray. Help us, Lord, to not allow the things of the world to crowd in on us. Help us not, Lord, to give in and allow human considerations to override our faith because we serve a mighty God with whom nothing is impossible. Amen.